Welcome to Up My Street, the podcast that explores the world of creative placemaking and the clever initiatives that engage people in the places where they live, work and play. I am joined today, as always, by my wonderful co-host, Tracy Parr. Woohoo! Ooh, hello! How's your week been, Trey? Uh, hot, very hot. <laughs> Productive, but hot. So I try to think back of all the things that I've done and all I've done is hot. <laughs> How about yours? Yeah, pretty much the same, I think. I've actually got a dress on today, which freaked you out this morning. Yeah, it, it did. It was a lot to take in. Like, it, <laughs> it's clean, it's got no paint on it. It was all a lot. It's most unusual for me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we are trying our very, very best to do a gentle June. We are, yeah. I think it's only gentle in comparison to how mad May was. We had a manic May and now it's a gentle June. And I'm not actually succeeding. I've managed no, to book in too many things. <laughs> The life of a creative. Yeah. Hashtag creative wins. Okay. Um, so this week, I think we should move swiftly on from that. Today's guest. I'm going to introduce today's guest. Ooh. Now, this person. Yeah, we're going to do a proper introduction. Exciting. Oh, no, they know you're a man now. Oh, okay. <laughs> today's guest has had a very rich and varied career in the arts and culture. They have been. Are you ready? Stand-up comedian, actor, press officer for Derby Playhouse, chair of 1623 Theatre. Am I saying that right? Tell me afterwards. Co-director of Derby Film Festival, chief exec of Derby Quad, and is currently the bid director for Derby's bid to become the City of Culture in 2025 and now working on the legacy work thereafter. Please welcome, give lots of hoorays for Mr. Adam Buss. Wowza. <laughs> never, never had applause, like pre saying anything. Sometimes you get applause afterwards, but uh, quite often just kind of, yeah, right, okay. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Yeah. How are you, Adam? Good, thank you. Yes, yeah. Similarly warm, very warm. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I just find myself complaining about the weather, which I always thought that's just a thing that like old people that curmudgeonly do. <laughs> now I've become that, and I didn't realise. Just an old person thing. Yeah, yeah. just kind of <laughs> snuck up on me. But yeah, it's been warm. But yes, no, lots of exciting things going on, and lots of exciting conversations, which is all you can ask for, really, isn't it? I think probably what's a good way of starting it, it off is um, probably talking a bit about the bids mm-hmm. and how that came about and how you got involved. Yeah, so um, UK City of Culture is uh, just kind of like basics going back to kind of why we got to that point. UK City of Culture is a competition that came out of the fact that um, <laughs> we're no longer part of Europe <laughs> to a certain extent. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so because previously, obviously, European City of Culture would have been a, a thing that people remember from places like Liverpool and Glasgow in the past if you were um, looking at that stuff and incredibly successful um, points. Whereas UK City of Culture, clues kind of in the title, it's only for cities that are in the UK. And actually this time round, when the competition came up, they changed the guidelines so that it wasn't just a city. It could be a region as well. So, for example, um, County Durham, one of the people that were bidding alongside us. So when the competition was open this time round, um, the leader of the council in Derby and a couple of the senior officers at the local authority kind of said, well, actually, you know, we're now in a place where our ambition about arts and culture is raised. We're in a place where we know that there are challenges in our 
our city that are not going to be solved by traditional means. So things like, you know, and this is the same for everyone across the UK, retail spaces being empty for a long time because yep. of you know, pandemic and, and everything else. So actually this the UK City of Culture competition feels like the right time for us. And then at that point, I got a message from one of the senior people at the local authority saying, what do you think? Do you think we should do this? And my reply was in capital letters, hell yes, with an exclamation mark. (laughs) (laughs) So that was kind of the starting point. And then um, there was a call out for someone to lead the bid and I was recruited into that role as the bid director. And we went from there. And, you know, what I would definitely say was it was a very steep learning curve from the get-go, but an incredible process to be part of and, and getting to the final eight for us was a major achievement. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And what we said right from the beginning was we're doing this, but we're only doing it if it's, if it's the right thing for Derby, not just to win a competition. So when we didn't win the competition, which was annoying, obviously. Um, we th- <laughs> yeah. What were they thinking? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but well done to Bradford. Um, we we did. No, I do mean that. I do, don't, don't laugh. It's not like the Oscars. I do, genu- I do genuinely mean that. Um, we, when we, yeah, when, when it kind of, it, that part of the process finished, we said, actually, look, we've created a lot of energy. We've created a lot of ideas. These are good ideas anyway. How do we take them forward? That's amazing. How, how how long was that process from when Derby originally said, oh, is this something we should go for, to when they announced the finalists, let's say? I think it was a, it was around about five months, something like that. So I remember it being quite a truncated period. I mm. mean, it wasn't, in my mind, that would have been a longer process. But yeah. no, you're saying that was quite a quick thing that came about. Yeah, it was. And, and part of that was because of delays from the pandemic in terms of the announcement about the competition course, and that kind yeah. of stuff. So things were kind of put on hold and then reissued post-pandemic. So that that did, yeah, truncate the period. And, and that was that was one of the things for us. We Because we came into it fairly last minute, we just sort of went, right, let's do stuff, go, like run, <laughs> go, get excited. Uh, and, and we did that. It was only afterwards we realised that five months isn't enough time to really (laughs) get everything you need to do done. Nobody needs to have that kind of hindsight at the time. (laughs) It's quite nice to bounce around like an excited toddler for a while, especially if you get a five-month period to do it in. Absolutely, yeah. (laughs) I I guess I've always been like a real true believer of the the phrase that you either win or you learn as well. So actually, you know, it's not a bad thing to to not win sometimes. I know, quick, write that down. down Title of the episode, everybody. (laughs) What was that? That again you win, win or, or you learn. learn yeah ideally both you know <laughs> <laughs> that's what, kind of what I want really but. god yeah Bradford <laughs> what did you learn Bradford <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they're learning a lot now when they're trying to plan I'm yeah. sure so we're now in the period for you where um you got really really far like you say you're one of the um do you call it a finalist yeah it's kind of like the the, it was sort of three stages there was an initial process then there was a long list which we were part of as the eight cities and then there's a a, a final short list of four and then they make the decision so it's kind of in sporting terms kind of quarterfinals yeah well that's amazing but you but you now have built up so momentum so much momentum that you can do something with that and what was really exciting was to learn that derby weren't going up no boo we we lost and that's it you've actually taken this forward and it's not stopping here so do you want to tell us a little bit about what's happening in Derby on off the back of all the work that you did yeah so you know there was I'm not gonna I'm not gonna you know I'm not gonna lie there was a kind of an immediate sort of probably it was probably mainly a day 
where I was like, this is really bad. We've not won. And I'm really upset about that because you have to, I think that's the point with, with these kind of bids. It's not, it's not something where um, it's really kind of binary and logical and, you know, scientific to a certain extent. So there's always an element of trying to unpick what else you could have done. And sometimes particularly for those that had been on the journey longer than us. So places like Durham and Southampton had been kind of working on bids for longer than us and they've had a longer lead in and they, they you know, all, all of that stuff. So for them to then get to that final point and not win, it was a real, mm. a real crushing blow. And for us, it, it was, but there was a fairly quick realisation that actually what we'd done in a short space of time was really, you know, was good. Um, objectively and we and we'd made a lot of we created a lot of energy we created a lot of ideas etc but what we then quickly did was then reflected and said well how can we get the best out of this process and and one of the first things we did was we we actually started talking to those other people that didn't win because during the process it's a competition right so I remember a meeting that we had in Coventry which was the city of culture at the time and all of us that were on the long list got invited to go there and we turned up, and again, this is kind of an indication of, of the amount of time we had to put things together. There was there were four of us from Derby that went. Only one and a half people in that, me being the one and, and my colleague Mike being the kind of half, actually working full-time on the bid. Um, because Mike had a day job he was doing at the same time. Uh, bless him. An incredible person, by the yeah. way. But um, we, So we turned up, we walk into this room, and then you see these like huge delegations from the other cities <laughs> and not only that and like the one thing that sticks in my mind is tote bags like everyone had a tote bag with like Southampton or Durham or Wrexham you, no Derby merch we, we didn't have the tote bags oh, wow. and we were just kind of like we and all the tables were kind of laid out in circular kind of cabaret style with around about 10 or 12 chairs around them so like we sat on a table and there was just like us four and loads of empty chairs <laughs> and then all the others had like full chairs and, and all these people and all this stuff and we were like, oh my God. And you couldn't even fiddle with your bag. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you had no tote bag. <laughs> yeah. so, so we were kind of like, but what it means is you kind of immediately, like, you're like, oh, hang on, right, okay, we need, to, we need to kind of like keep our stuff, all our best ideas to ourselves and we don't want to share anything and... Because there's a there's the reason they have those events is an opportunity for you as a city to ask questions about the process mm-hmm. and kind of like find any detail and stuff and learn from it, previous cities of culture about what they've done and that kind of thing. So, you know, you you even have to be a a little bit kind of cautious about the questions that you're asking because you know you could ask a question which is kind of giving away yeah. one of your best ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really weird because you know you, you know you, you've both worked in arts and culture for a long time we're naturally kind of like giving kind of creative collaborative people right yeah creatives are collaborators yeah. i give my ideas away every week I'm just, like, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I'm just like have you thought about doing this and they're like i'm writing that down i was like well i didn't need it anyway. <laughs> yeah. i'd be terrible in that room <laughs> but but that but that i think that's you know it's kind of like all it's not just it wasn't just us that's like all of the other people in the room are kind of the same thing but the competition makes you kind of do that yeah for the first time which was a really strange feeling and not one I necessarily enjoyed that much, probably the worst bit of the process. So then at the end, it was like, oh, actually, like kind of all bets are off now. Yeah, share like, away, share, yeah. share. Yeah. 
and, and we all got together and, and we kind of initially had a bit of a discussion about the trauma of not winning and you know for some that was higher than others and all that kind sure. of stuff and we, we you know we we grieved together oh sorry that was me flicking the uh, I mic thought that sound. was one of Matt's like uh, he's putting sound. in the sound <laughs> it's quite a nice sound effect actually yeah. Yeah. sorry go ahead um, so yeah and <clears throat> but then after that period we then just started saying well look what are we doing now what, what's next? What are the plans? What are the things we're taking forward from each place? How can we share that information? And the great thing about <coughs> the, um, the, so that group, which we initially called ourselves the Losers, which is not a great <laughs> title. <laughs> we're now calling ourselves the Silver Cities Network, which is a much nicer nice. way of describing it. Have you got a WhatsApp group? <coughs> That's what happens, right? Uh, yeah, I think we have got a WhatsApp group, we've got a LinkedIn group, you know, all that stuff, that. minutes and, and things now, very official. Um <laughs> But what's great about that group is it includes so Durham, County Durham in the northeast, um, Armagh in Northern Ireland, uh, Wrexham in Wales, Southampton in the south, and us in Derby. So you've got it's a, a real great good spread, spread, yeah. So and, and and you know the other thing is it's like we're not we're not regionally competitive, so we're not going after the same kind of like structural funds like SPF or. So, sorry, share prosperity fund or leveling up or any of that. Share the stuff. acronyms. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, so straight away we were just like, yeah, this is what we're doing. Uh, what are you doing? You're doing that. Oh, that's interesting. We thought about doing something like that. How did you do that? Can you give us a contact for that? Can we have that conversation? And that's that's been one of the best kind of outcomes for me. It's just that that collaborative sharing that we've got across these these really interesting diverse places across the UK. And you got to go and visit them, didn't you, as well? Yeah, I've not, I mean, a lot of them I've been to already, mm-hmm. um, but somewhere like Armagh I'd never been to, to before. I've been to Belfast a few times, but I'd never been to any other parts of, the, of Northern Ireland. And going to Armagh was really fascinating because, you know, such rich and diverse history, which is still very present in the place and, you know, impacts on kind of day-to-day life and people's mm-hmm. people's living. Um some some amazing artists. So so one of the artists that we met when we were in Armagh um, is a group called the Array Collective, who won the Turner Prize maybe two times back, I think. And what was fascinating about them, I did think about you actually, Tilly, at one point because what they, well because what they <laughs> talked about was that they when they started it was um, the the collective element of it kind of grew over time, but it started off as I think one or two artists working on projects. And their initial starting point was um, just getting a space, getting a physical space where they could create work, where they had a reasonably good relationship with the local authority at the time that helped them with stuff. And then from there, it kind of spiralled and grew and, you know, suddenly they had people coming in from, you know, New York and wherever else. And the thing I took away from it was, so Armour is a city of 25,000 people. What's the population of Burton? More than that. Yeah, uh, I think it's 120 uh, borough wide, yeah. um, and then it's about 15 or so Utoxeter, and then assorted villages outlying. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah, yeah. it. So almost almost 25,000 people, right? As a as a place, it's dinky. It's dinky. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's got a cathedral, don't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, it's got two, um, but uh, the, the one each. Yeah. <laughs> Kind of, yeah, that's kind of how it works. Um, <laughs> but it, they, and their bid was Armagh, Bambridge, and Craig Avon. So it was a wider area. So it wasn't just the twenty five thousand in Armagh. So it was a wider area, but it was kind of a lot of rural space outside of the city of Armagh. Um, 
but the point being, and the conference I was at when I went to Armagh was about arts and culture in small places. And it's the first Ooh. time, yeah, it was really fascinating. It was the first time I'd been to a conference where, so us and Southampton were there, and Derby and Southampton are similar sized cities of about a quarter of a million people plus. All right. So, <laughs> it's not a competition about numbers, it's really not. <laughs> but that. It, being, it was the first time, I think, both of us, Derby and Southampton, were kind of sat there going, this is the first time we've been to a conference where we're the big cities in the room. Because wow. normally we go to stuff and it's like Bristol and Leeds and Manchester and Birmingham and all of that stuff. And um, then just listening to the stories of, of people from not just Northern Ireland, but a lot from Northern Ireland, a lot from across the UK and a, a few from Europe as well, talking about what arts and culture meant to them in their place. And actually, there was there were more similarities and differences in terms of the way you do things and something like you know having the the array collective there who were basically saying look we we didn't need to be in london to win the turner prize yeah (laughs) we didn't need to be in manchester we didn't need to be in new york etc what we needed was we needed that support that wraparound like um feeling that we're we're needed we're wanted and we can create our practice and we can work with communities and we can develop our own interests and then we can create these amazing things and and to a certain extent what we kind of need is to sort of be left alone (laughs) we just need the conditions to be right and then we're the we're the creatives trust that we'll do the stuff that's interesting and creative so support without interference yeah it's our mantra isn't it give me what i want and leave me alone (laughs) yeah 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 it chimes hard it really does Yeah, oh, God, that sounds amazing. I mean, I think one of the things I uh, really enjoyed watching when um, you were going through the bid, <laughs> it's always nice watching somebody else go through something like that, isn't Absolutely, it? Yeah. <laughs> was just the sort of connections that were being made and the fact that, you know, you've said afterwards you're probably making more valuable um, connections now than you could whilst it was the competition because of the nature of the competition. But what's really lovely is to hear that that's actually really solidified into that um, organisation or collective or whatever you want to call it the silver cities or silver silver cities network yeah that's lovely yeah. that's so nice <laughs> see collaboration always wins <laughs> um so if we go back to derby and what mm. what this whole process has meant for derby so mm. obviously one of the things that we're particularly interested in is um sort of the specifics of how it's changed life for people who live work play whatever in in the area so um do you want to talk a little bit about the nitty-gritty of what's happened on the ground for yeah folks yeah and and it's good that you know you're happy to use the word like placemaking when you're describing what you're talking about because it's it is it's something which i don't think is like you know it's not like every person on the street's going to be saying oh do you what do you think about placemaking at the moment <laughs> it's, it, but it's becoming more and more people are understanding kind of the concepts of it etc and it's mainly for those that work within that within field that use it yeah exactly <laughs> so i get that but for me it's a, it is exactly what you're talking about it's about what what difference does what you're doing make to the people of your city town region area whatever you want to call it and that was our starting point. Our main theme for our city of Cot. I can say this now, a lot of it, this is in public domain, by the way, you had to kind of, at the end of the process, you um, all of the bids that got to that stage get put into the public archive so you can read them. And there's only certain bits of it that are redacted. So all our good ideas are kind of out there now anyway. Um, <laughs> but our main, our main idea, which is really not groundbreaking and is, you know, in some ways doesn't sound that exciting, was about build from within. So what we said was, what we don't want to do is we don't want to do a year of a city of culture and just invite a load of cultural professionals from outside 
from these great cultural cities, bring them in, they do a thing, they go away. Um, what we did say was that if we are, you know, act, you know, we're not saying that all of the brilliant work only happens in Derby because that's not true either. Mm-hmm. There's brilliant work all over the place. But if we bring those people in, we will make sure that it's kind of on our terms and they're working with Derby artists and creatives so that when that group, company, artist, etc., goes, there's a legacy of activity and learning and skills development and all that stuff that remains within the city that remains but largely we want to we want to be telling the stories of derby we want to be telling the you know telling the narratives that are maybe not told that often about the city and again one of our other kind of key themes was about the fact that you know derby's an incredibly diverse city it's got over 145 nationalities. I always worry about these numbers because they're kind of they're one of those things that changes all the time. Sure, so yeah, sure, sure, sure. it's broadly 145 different nationalities, which is a lot when you consider there's a. I think in total there's something like 300 odd countries in the world. Mm-hmm. So 100, it's nearly 50 percent of all the countries are represented in the city. Within that, you've got over 150 languages spoken. So that's incredible. Yeah. But and the big. But part of it is that if you walk into Derby City Centre at the moment, you wouldn't necessarily see that and feel that. So how do we make the city more representative of that diversity? And how do we make sure we see it through the lens of this is an incredible positive for us? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've, I've seen the spreadsheet and we've literally got people in Derby that are from Aruba and Zambia. Wow. Like, and everything in the between. A to Z, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's only two people from Aruba. Uh, I don't think I've given away any trade secrets there. But those two <laughs> people are just as important. Yeah, well, that, exactly and if they that. fall in love. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they, they could both be artists, I don't know. That's yeah, who knows? Um, but that sense of, you know, let's start with what's here, because actually we've got things like the Enlightenment period, which kind of changed the world from the city of Derby. We've got, you know, the World Heritage Site that, that runs from Derbyshire into the city. We've got this incredible contemporary diversity and, and languages and, you know, what that brings with it in terms of food culture, in terms of creative culture, fashion, music, all of those different elements, which, you know, any other place would be really, or you, know, you would hope would be really pleased to have and to use those things to then elevate the ideas about, you know, what can happen. So those two themes are kind of guiding themes for the bid, but also guiding themes for what we're trying to do now. So I think the key outcomes thus far, and, you know, I'll I'll be totally honest about it, what we've mainly been doing since then is the structural stuff in the background. Yeah, it's important stuff. You can't go any further if you haven't got those in place. Exactly, and thank you for that. And it's it's, sometimes you kind of... Oh, it's the boring back-end stuff, though, isn't it? That people don't see and can't celebrate. Because it's not a festival, it's not a... Um, you know it's not an artistic output per se but to a certain extent the majority of my career over the last 10-15 years has been that boring stuff if I'm honest when people used to ask me what a job was I'd say meetings and spreadsheets yeah. which artists do that too <laughs> yeah, exactly but you know I celebrate that in the sense that if I do a good job in that part of it it means that the artists and the creatives get much more freedom and opportunity to do really interesting things and that is kind of the point of what we're trying to do. So I think the key outputs so far have been the um, <laughs> things like the City Master Plan document, which has been released, includes arts, culture and creativity as one of its four key strands. Hooray! And that's the first time ever yeah, in our, our place. So that's massive straight that's away. because it, yeah. it just means straight away conversations about that yeah, <laughs> can happen. 
and and make sense in our place and that we see it as important um you know we've also been able to to kind of say to the city you know what are what are the challenges that our big stakeholders have and how do we collectively try to address those things so like a simple thing was we had a conversation with the music sector in the city about um about licensing and historically there'd been some issues around the presentation of certain types of music and in certain venues and um, issues with things like um not having um events that that under 16s could attend and things like that which is massive for parents because it just you know if 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 you want to take you know your your child or person you're caring for to a gig for the first time and you can't do it in your home place well you're probably going to do it somewhere else so what we were seeing was was parents taking their kids to gigs in other cities and places nearby where they could do that and it's habit forming you know we know that in the arts if 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 you know your first cinema experience is here and your first theatre experience is there and your first music experience is here you learn those habits you learn the transport routes and all the logistical stuff which just becomes second nature and you you form a connection to that venue so if we're losing young people at that point then it's going to be really hard to get them back further down the line so we were having this conversation and there were examples being given about things that had happened in the past and all this kind of stuff. And we started then talking to the different sides of the conversation. So within that, you've got obviously licensees, you've got promoters, you've got musicians. But then on the other side, you've also got, I say other side, that, that's the wrong way of putting it in itself. But within that, you've also got licensing people at the local authority and um, blue light services, police and everyone else that's kind of involved in city centre management and all of that stuff. And when we started to talk talk to everyone, everyone was like, yeah, no, we should be, you know, we definitely should have <clears throat> parents being able to take their, their kids to music events. And yeah, we want that. And, you know, as licensing officers, if no one's doing events, then we haven't got a job. So, you know, <laughs> we, we want these things to happen. And what we discovered was that there was, there was no statutory reason why these things weren't happening. There weren't any, you know, legal precedents or bylaws that Derby had said, you can't do this. <clears throat> it was just that the relationships had broken down. Uh, people had been kind of stung in the past by some odd conversations or things that had happened and people had changed in various positions and they'd sort of hung on to things that had happened in the past and the first step for us was just to bring people together and say look everybody actually is on the same page how do we make this these things happen how do we change the dialogue around what licensing will be um, and it and it informed part of what our plans will be going forward. So out of our three kind of key priorities, one's around cultural disruptions, which is about more activity in the city centre, which disrupt the norm yeah. in simple terms. One is around getting more creatives based in the city centre. So people like yourself, Tilly, like actually working and living in the city centre. I'm not work. moving. So. No, no, no. no. <laughs> yeah. People like you. I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> There's not many people like Tilly. So. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that. absolutely. Shouldn't have said that. Um, so, yeah, getting more creatives working in the city centre, um, you know, reflecting on that lack of retail space. But then the third area, which kind of developed over time through these conversations, is policy, process and procedure. Lovely. And for me, it's, the, it's kind of the least exciting to describe, but it's probably the most important. And that's we, where the changes are made, aren't exactly, they? Exactly, that's it. Exactly. I'm sorry, I totally killed the conversation then with that. <laughs> no, sorry. no, no, no. 
and what's nice is also just hearing about the fact that there's as much interest and understanding in the um the nitty-gritty back-end stuff as there is in the stuff that's actually on the streets and on the ground that people would necessarily notice um which is obviously something that we have to battle with as people who are in the arts and culture sector and those policy changes they're going to last a lot longer than a a two-day event so people remember the event but but changing the city forever so long as these last like that's that's big stuff I think you should be really proud of that and I guess you know just to throw it back to both of you what one of the things that we took from conversations with individual artists and organizations and creatives was that sometimes they just feel really outside of that conversation so one of the things that we've described as what we will do as culture derby which is the vehicle we'll use for this work is be a brokerage organization so you know I guess from your your points of view is that is that been your experience to a certain extent that you've sometimes felt out with the conversations that have gone on and then the things happened or you've not been part of a conversation and you're not able to influence it yeah I mean I suppose artists from my experience are very very good and skilled and talented at the thing that they do whether that's being a musician whether it's being a fine artist whether it's being a performer whatever it happens to be but there is definitely a lack of understanding and possibly a lack of interest in the how these things get funded until you need the funding and (laughs) everybody's very interested at that point um so I guess um it's one of those things where it's just encouraging knowing how to encourage the artists to take an interest as well as harnessing the artists who are already interested because it's quite unusual unusual to find an artist who is um very business and back-end savvy i've done another one of those um <laughs> flicking the microphone and causing an amazing create a piece of music as we <laughs> do did. some kind of percussive thing <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. back on topic please. sorry i got, <laughs> got dis- distracted by the pretty sounds sorry um but yeah so i guess having that connective piece can be nothing but the right thing and from my experience as well um i sort of work more now in uh, producing projects so um, I do tend to be that connective piece between where the money's coming from and, and where the uh, the policies are written <laughs> etc and the people who are then um, delivering that so yeah I can definitely understand and uh, acknowledge the importance of having somebody who can be that broker it's so important to have as well because a lot of artists are scared of the man <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm scared of the man. It, yeah, it took me a long yeah. time to be okay with becoming one of the men. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, they feel there's sort of there is that line that needs to be crossed and says we all want the same thing. We just we're coming at it from different directions, really, and without both, it nothing's going to work. I was at a, I was at another event um, not that long ago where the vice chancellor of Bath Spa University, who I, I can't remember her name, which is really terrible because she's a brilliant speaker. But if you look her up, look at Bath Spa, Vice-Chancellor. Shall we dub it in later? Yeah, please. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm really terrible with names. And it's not, like, I really I really do think she's brilliant. But, like, that in my head, just because you're brilliant doesn't mean I'm necessarily going to remember your name, which is a terrible, <laughs> terrible thing. And it's let me down in the past. Oh, look at the producers doing it. <laughs> High five, producer Sue Matt. Rigby. <laughs> Sue Rigby. How could I have forgotten? Thank you. We're very sorry, Sue. <laughs> High fives you. So yeah, Professor Sue Rigby was talking and and she summed it up really well. She said, all of us that work in the cultural and creative sector, we have to become translators because we work across different sectors. So we have to speak sometimes six or seven different languages. 
So we have to speak academia, we have to speak um, health, we have to speak education, we have to speak business, etc., etc., etc. And it was like, oh, yeah, you're right. And what she said was sometimes arts, arts and cultural and creative professionals get hung up on being experts in all of those things. Yeah. No one else does. Like if you're if you're working engineering, you don't think I need to understand all of these different languages because they they don't necessarily have to have those regular conversations. But we do because you know, as cultural professionals, we're interested in what impact can our work do to Im- improve the world in simple terms. So sometimes that's going to be our health, sometimes it's going to be our education, whatever it might be. And that idea about translation is is I think kind of what I'm talking about as well is having someone who can do that translation for you and maybe have a little bit more knowledge and a little bit more expertise. And, you know, the artists and creatives not worrying that they don't understand exactly how Progress 8 works in secondary schools or, you know, social prescribing works in the Mm. NHS and things like that. They just need to kind of know the words and know that they want to do this stuff and that they've got expertise that's going to be benefit. And then the broker can kind of say, okay, well, that makes sense. And then I can have a slightly more detailed conversation with this person to enable that to happen so increasingly i think a lot of our work is going to be that kind of soft translation type stuff between you know the language of a music producer versus the language of a, a commissioner from the nhs trust which are going to be completely different worlds yeah do you think part of that needs to be really good at what we do in everything that we do comes from the fact that uh, creativity, arts on a whole is sort of looked down at as a woolly profession. Like we're we're made to feel like we paint mm. or that we play a guitar. Do you think that our need to be really good at it is to prove to the rest of the world that actually we aren't doing woolly things? We I don't know what you're talking about. I, <laughs> I colour in for a living. <laughs> yeah, but that need to prove ourselves beyond other professions that feel already justified Validated, in what they've chosen. Yeah. yeah. I, I think there's definitely an element of that, and I think it's it, it's from all sides because a lot of the other the other side of the work that I've been doing is around um, creative industries development. So yesterday, uh, the new creative sector strategy was released by DCMS, which um, I was part of one of the working groups had a, a very small part of, of influencing what went into that. But one of the biggest things is just the reinforcement of the messaging around what the strength of the creative industries is, you know, the billions that it brings into the yeah. economy, the diversity of the workforce, the fact that actually investment in, in something like creative industries, what in global terms for things like engineering or life sciences would be huge numbers to invest in something to help it grow in the creative industries is relatively small amounts that will help exponential growth. Mm. Those kinds of conversations are really important, but I'm I'm a little bit fed up of that argument because I've been uh, <laughs> similar. I've been kind of making that argument for many many years. The reason I'm fed up with it is not because I think it because I would, wouldn't I? You would, wouldn't you? Because yeah. it's what you do. Right on. <laughs> but over the last sort of five years, and, and sped up because of the pandemic. Every time I listen to someone like a global economist to use that job title or a kind of a uh, you know a, a future thinker or you know an influencer or whatever anyone that's talking about what we as a society globally need to do they talk about the fact that creativity is a crucial part of that yeah. and part of the reason they say it is that artificial intelligence again is growing exponentially and changing the way that our world works 
it was summarised for me, I think it was two years ago, two, three, two, three years ago. It's another name that I can't remember. Producer might Google it. Um, there was a, a... Come on, Matt. The annual yeah. wreath lecture at the, uh, the BBC, the Christmas wreath lectures. Um, there was an AI scientist on, and he was doing a talk about what I, AI meant to our society. And his outcomes... Uh, there it is. Stuart J. Russell. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> I need you in my life, like, all the time. <laughs> no, he's a burden too, he's ours. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, and, and what, what Stuart said, Stuart Russell said, was, and this is a massive summary, because it's a long lecture, and it's really interesting and fascinating, and, and all of those things. Everybody can watch it. Every, yeah, mm-hmm. watch it, listen to it, etc. It's, it's on iPlayer, I think. Um, but his outcome was, me and, and my friends, this is the way I've found of summarising it easy enough. Me and my friends, as in people that work in AI at a very senior level, we go where the research and the money is, basically. Yeah. If someone is paying someone to develop a product around X, then that's where the work goes into it. There's very little freedom for us to just do stuff on our own, you know, just on, on the back, because it's so detailed and so complex what we're doing anyway. And the reality is we will continue to do that and those things will continue to happen and the world will change around you and you will not be able to impact it. And he said the key thing for us as humans and humanity to focus on, there's two key areas that we must, through education, through what we do in our lives, you know, um, and, and ultimately what makes us human is creativity and empathy. Mm. Those two things. Now, str- I listen to that and it's like, yeah, brilliant that's what we do that's exactly like those two things are exactly what you know i've kind of built my life on and every person that i work with kind of exhibits those characteristics and are really you know passionate about developing those things again kind of like a a simple thing but your iq is set around kind of 18 19 you're not going to get any cleverer sorry to tell you anyone that's listening (laughs) kind of you're done at that point no, um, you think you're clever. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can gain more knowledge and wisdom, but you're not going to get any exponentially cleverer in scientific terms. But your EQ, your emotional intelligence, you can continue to develop until the point when you are no longer in existence. And why are we not thinking more about that? You know, we all know good stuff, bad stuff happens to us. We learn from it. We grow as a person. You know, really traumatic things happen and it's hard. And we don't don't know where to go and we don't know where to turn. But one of the things that generally comes out of it is a learning about ourselves and about the world around us and maybe a greater empathy for other people that have gone through that experience and all of those things. So why are we not prioritising that as a society? Because that's the thing that will enable us to kind of continue to grow in this increased world of artificial intelligence. So I can't remember what the question was. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've done what we do so beautifully on this podcast, which is start with one thing and end up with AI. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the bots. So, oh, sorry, yeah, it was about, like, yeah. So I think sometimes it does come from, like, an inward place of I've got to prove myself, I've got to prove myself. But sometimes it's just, and this is the thing that still baffles me, is that the people that are making the decisions just sort of conveniently forget it at the times when they're making policy sometimes. And that's the bit that's got a shift. And the reason I say about like global economists and AI scientists saying it is because (laughs) it makes more impact when it's people outside of our world saying it. Yeah, it doesn't matter how bad we are, it has to be other people advocating for us, doesn't it, sometimes? Listen, 
we could we genuinely will if we're not careful end up just having a wonderful discussion that sort of lasts for the whole morning um and i think matt will freak out because they've got a show later on (laughs) um so are you happy if we end with our three questions that we like to ask all of our guests. <laughs> yep. Thank you. Matt. I don't like the way you're smiling, though, because <laughs> no, it looks I'm, really I'm suspicious. Nice. No, no, they're nice <laughs> questions. I'm, I'm laughing because, um, yeah, Matt on his radio show has uh, three questions, but they're three silly questions. And he thinks that I'm about to ask you what the worst smell in the world is or something like that, which I'm not going to do. Happy to do Matt's as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think. Okay, worst smell. Okay. No, no, let's do Matt's first. Matt's first. <laughs> Um, it's a hot day Trey it could quite well be me (laughs) match at the door so it could be us (laughs) okay so um Adam question number one what is the best advice that you could give somebody for getting over creative block It's, it's a really good question it's a tough one um I would say just stop like in simple terms um you know, we've all had, when I, when I was a comedian, for example, you have to write stuff before you say it. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> we don't hear. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'd, I'd have those those kind of moments where you're writing something, it's not getting anywhere, you go back to it, you're doing the classic thing of, you know, writing, throwing bits of paper in the bin. That's what the montage in my head looks like. I don't think I actually did that. I think it was a laptop, but it's, it's more bin. romantic if it's like bits of paper in a bin. And I think what I learned over time was it's kind of, it's, it's stopping and it's patience and it's all those things that, you know, we are naturally impatient people. We want to get to creative, interesting solutions fairly quickly, but actually stopping, going for a walk, looking at a tree, listening to a river, listening to bird song, turning Radio 4 on and listening to someone talk about why mushrooms are really fascinating yeah. or listening to a random song that you never heard before from wherever in the world. You'll, you'll forget what you were doing and then something else will come in and you'll be able to restart that process. But I think the worst thing you can do is just keep, hammering it when you feel like you're not getting anywhere if you feel like you're not getting anywhere you're probably not stop <laughs> do something else come Great. back to it love that i love that um very good piece of advice and i like the fact that um mostly when i think about creative block as well i do tend to think that it's because i've spent too long either at a desk or inside and going outside is always a nice solution for that um so question number two do you want to say this one uh, no because i can't see from here I can't. <laughs> Uh, what's the best bit of placemaking that you've seen recently? Ooh, wowza. I should have given uh, you these beforehand, then you could have had a thing. Yeah, because yeah, the, the, the problem is I've seen quite a lot, and like <laughs> if I say one, yeah. everyone else is going to get really upset, so I'm going to have to choose No, 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 nobody else is going to get upset. Just, just, <laughs> just, just pick one. You, you can only pick one, so just pick one, and it might have stuck in your mind for who knows what reason, and it, it doesn't mean it's necessarily the best. Just okay so there there is one that i come back to quite a lot and it's uh not part of our silver cities network so i feel this is a good one to choose because then none of those individuals (laughs) are going to get upset because they are all doing genuinely brilliant things we went to plymouth in the southwest um for a visit and we met various really interesting creative people doing really interesting stuff amazing physical spaces and um, individuals etc it was one that really stood out for me which was we met a creative industry uh, a uh, CIC so a not-for-profit organization um, called Nudge in Plymouth and what 
Nudge, and this is again me paraphrasing a lot of complex work that's gone on, but what Nudge have done is they've looked at one particular street in Plymouth, which was kind of a no-go area that um, for various reasons had, had really suffered from a lack of investment, um, property price were really low, lots of disadvantaged communities in and around that area, um, and a real sen- sense of kind of inertia, just nothing happening, just nothing's moving, because the private sector weren't interested, local authority couldn't afford to do things, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So two people from this area came together and said, well, if no one else is going to do something about it, let's us do something about it. So what they did first of all was that they identified one physical space on that street they wanted to find a way of getting ownership of and they raised community shares. They went out to their community and said, look, we're all part of this. How can we raise money collectively to buy one of these spaces and turn it into something that's positive for our community? So they did that and they raised six figures worth of money to, to get access yeah, to this yeah. space. Yeah, that's impressive. And they turned it into an African kitchen, which then created a kind of a street food outlet, which went in and around the southwest and was, you know, but a real hub for the community and particularly that part of the community that had a place that felt like their own, that they, they could have ownership of it. The next space they bought was a bigger space and it became a multi-use kind of creative industries workspace. So you had things like a charity that were taking curtains and making them more thermal thermodynamic so that you lose less heat in your building yeah. and doing that for free for the local community, knowing that the cost of living crisis was starting to hit and they were taking curtains, making them more efficient, reducing people's heating bills. That was one of the organisations in there, as well as the University of Plymouth had a space in there and then some individual designer makers and everything else. But it was, it was quite make, do and mend. And this is kind of their general point was that they said we can take this space and then we could kind of close the doors and spend three years making it look pristine and perfect. Or we can get it, we can talk to the people that need to kind of sign this stuff off and say, what is the kind of the minimum requirement for us to get this up and running so that we can just get activity happening? And they just started doing that. And then the third space they, they, they've, they bought not that long ago, which we went into, which is an incredible space, was one of these old sort of classic golden age of cinema like huge cinemas 3000 capacity cinema space houses um, yeah huge huge space with incredible kind of like ceiling roses and things in there beautiful space that had been empty for like a very long time it'd gone through like a lot of those old cinemas it'd gone through being a bingo hall and things like yeah. that but it'd been empty and derelict for something like 20 years again i don't know the details you probably tell me i'm wrong but it for a long time <clears throat> let's put it that way and they 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 found the money to buy that. And when we walked into the space, there's two things that really struck us. One, normally when I go into anything where it's kind of like a it's been disused, whatever, <clears throat> people are like, right, hard hat, you know, steel toe cap shoes, high vis, blah blah blah. <laughs> what they said to us was, just don't walk over there. And there was like. <clears throat> Was there a hole in the floor? Oh, no, it's just a bit of a bit of ceiling that's like not great. So there was a kind of a rope up basically. But the point being, that had been signed off and the rest of the building we could go into and we could go up to. We went up, then up to the first floor and there was a boxing ring on the floor. We're like, so what, how, why is this here? And they said, well, there was a boxing club in a community centre and the community centre was being closed because of cutbacks and they had nowhere to go. And we said, well, we've just got this space. 
if you can get the stuff over here, you can use it. So there's now a community boxing club in there where a lot of young people from that area are using it. Um, and then the third floor, which is, or second floor, which is the, the where the big space is, we went in there and we were like, oh my God, this could, this is going to be incredible. And they said, well, yeah, it is going to be incredible. We've also started using it. And they showed us some images of um, bands, like signed bands that have been using this as a place for, vid- for video shoots. Location shoots. Location yes. shoots. Because it's a beautiful space and it's like, it looks amazing. Um, and their principle is like, we're not just going to, we're not going to spend, we're going to, we'll, we'll make sure that, you know, we've done our due diligence, we've got our business plan, etc. but we're not going to spend three years doing that. Mm. We're going to just get on with stuff and we're going to do it and we're going to show people that it can work and we're going to make it happen. So that for me, and part of the re- part of what they said, how they came about was that the conditions were right in Plymouth. They had Plymouth Culture, which is a brokerage agency like we're talking about there yeah, is yes. kind of backing them up. But it was it was them that did it. They did it off their own bat and made it work. So what you're saying is take the bull by the horns and just get on and do. Yeah. Just do it. Yeah. Yeah. The oh. end. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? I think that's a great place to stop. Um and it has been an absolute pleasure um talking with you, Adam. I know we've had conversations in the past, but it's been nice to put them in front of a microphone. So thank you for coming down all the way half an hour down the A thirty eight. Darby's just next door to us, those of you. I don't do short me. answers, so apologies <laughs> that we've overrun. That's always my fault. Do you know, I don't even mind. I'm not even angry about it. I think it's great. Um but we really appreciate you coming down um and having a chat and we look forward to seeing what happens next um with all the legacy work that's happening because of what uh, Darby have been doing and it's really exciting to hear about that work. Um so for now now we'll say goodbye everybody goodbye and thank you from me thank you (laughs) and we hope to hear from um any of you about your thoughts on what the work that's been going on in derby if you have any other um place making ideas that you want us to look into in the future as well just get in touch we'd love to hear from you other than that we'll see you next episode Bye. bye Classic producer, like, don't talk to me. I want to press the buttons. Leave me alone.